welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Listen, we're really uh, honored to have Peter Reeves uh, with us this morning. Peter is uh, with uh, the Assemblies of God, and he travels across the nation speaking to hundreds of thousands of people, and especially next-gen, kind of younger uh, younger students uh, as well. He uh, recently moved from Michigan to Orlando, Florida. That's unusual that people leave Michigan and they go to Florida. That's Maybe that'll be a trend one day, but he's on staff at uh, with Johnny Wilson at Faith assembly uh, in Orlando. He is married with, to Joanna, got, got two kids. He recently spoke at our Assemblies of God General Council in uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, but also Peter loves foster families and foster kids. They're former foster care parents as well, and they've got a wonderful program to send uh, foster care kids to camp, and we're just excited to have Peter with us his very first time. Don't think it'll be the last time. At the end of the service, though, we're going to take an offering for Peter. Okay, You don't see a lot of evangelists out today because it's very difficult to, you know, to, to make a living uh, on the evangelistic field. So at the end of the service today, we're going to take a virtual offering. We're going to have ushers in the back, and if you could help us with that, whatever God lays on your heart, we want to be a blessing to Peter and his family. Would you make him welcome to Generations Church, our friend, Peter Reeves. Come on, is anyone excited to be in the house of God today? Come on. Oh, what an honor it is to be here today. Uh, as Pastor already said, my name is Peter Reeves, and I come uh, with a lot of excitement, a lot of joy. Somebody brought this chair up here. They thought I'd sit down. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. A um, lot of energy, and uh, man, what an honor it is to be in this place today. And uh, man, I'm so thankful. I, I love what I'm hearing. I'm so thankful that I got to listen to the announcements, because you get the heartbeat of a church when you listen to the announcements and what the pastor is saying and where the church is going. Come on. Generation Church, this is a blessed house in Jesus' name. Someone clap for that today. Come on, you are doing great work. God is stirring the kingdom of heaven, and I'm so thankful uh, for your lead pastors, Brian, Pastor Brian and Becky, and I just think they are incredible people. This is my first time meeting them, uh, but Pastor Reggie Dabb speaks so highly of you and, and your ministry, and uh, just like they did their homework on me, I did my homework on them, and uh, man, everyone who knows you speaks so highly of you, and uh, we are so grateful for the anointing on your life, the faithfulness that is on your life, and we honor you today. Come on, can you clap for your lead pastors? Actually, can you stand and clap for your lead pastors? Come on, church! Come on! We're so grateful. Thanks for your consistency. Yeah. Just tell how much you love this church and this community, and uh, so grateful. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, I have one wife. Hello, it's 2023. You got to be specific. I have one wife, uh, two kids, and a fish that's going to be with the Lord. And uh, 
Her name was Abby Kadabi. We won't talk about what happened to her. And uh, my daughter named her. I want to show you a quick picture of my family. Oh, this is my squad. This is my family. Uh, I'll start uh, with my wonderful wife there. That is Joanna Reeves. And uh, we met when we were 15 years old and have been together ever since. Uh, I tricked her and I kept her, you know. Uh, God spoke to me. I saw her one time preaching. I said, I choose you, you know. So uh, we've been together since we were 15. And I love everything about her. Uh, I love uh, the way she preaches. She's a preacher of God's Word. She was actually in Missouri this weekend. She just got back yesterday uh, preaching God's Word. She's phenomenal. I love the way she takes care of our family. Um, I love that she um, uh, she loves her steak medium well, but her man well done. Come on, church. Come on, give God up. I'm just kidding. She likes her coffee with no cream, if you know what I mean. I'm just, thank you. Uh, that is my wife. She would be so upset right now. She really would. She'd be so mad. Uh, and then those are our two beautiful babies. Me and my wife were foster parents, uh, struggled with infertility for five years. That's not why we became foster parents, just the way the Lord built our family. But now we have two um, beautiful kids, and uh, our foster babies that we were hoping to adopt um, went on to, to go back to their families. If you know anything about foster care, you know the goal is reunification, whether you like it or not. And uh, but we still get to see them. And this is our family, though. This, that's my daughter, Charlie Grace Reeves. And no, she is not saved. She needs God, people. And uh, the other day... Uh, I was doing my best uh, parenting job I could. She was getting on my nerves. I put her in timeout, and while she was in timeout, I heard her say, uh, she was like, Waymaker, miracle worker. I said, don't sing to God in timeout. He not even the Waymaker could get you out of this situation. So, so that's what I'm doing as a thoughtful, wonderful, God-fearing parent. That's how my life is going. Uh, and that is my son, Macklin Nathaniel Reeves, and he will bite you. I mean, the kid, uh, he's got a little bit of an overbite already, but he went, right, like just tear you up. And so both of them need God, and uh, we're doing our best, though, you know, like we're just doing our best as parents. Uh, if you can't already tell, I'm loud to me. Like, is he going to be loud, this loud the entire time? Absolutely, okay? Here's why. Because when God has been faithful to you, it's hard to be quiet. It's hard to be tame in the presence of God when he's been faithful to you and good to you. And so I'm going to be a little loud today. Also, I come from an African Pentecostal home. Uh, emphasis on uh, the African. Like, some of you are like, oh, my gosh, that's so sweet. Like, Lion King? I don't know. Like, Black Panther. Like, like I talked to my mom this morning. She was like, Peter, when you preach the word of God, she was like, speaking a tower that is loud and I was like wow like you don't have to scream I'm I'm here I hear you fine she was like I'm, I'm just saying okay I was like all right emphasis on the Pentecostal though this is a true story I remember uh, bringing my friends home from school to, to hang out you know I said come to my house and let's have some Dunkaroos who knows what a Dunkaroo is in this place some of you don't you're too young it's a cookie with like a little cup of icing next to it and you dip the cookie in the icing and you feel the presence of God right it's just amazing and I, I invited my friends over I said hey come to the house let's let's do this thing let's hang out and I, I when I got to the door I heard some screaming right somebody's screaming really loud I opened the door and I see my mom praying over our vacuum right she was praying in the name of Jesus I come against this vacuum in G right like she just going in and so I told my friends I said hey wait right here let me go see what's going on so I go inside my mom is screaming at this vacuum I said mom what are you doing she's like Peter I had no idea that when I bought this vacuum it was a dead devil and there will be no devils allowed in this house I was like all right y'all gotta go somewhere else I cannot have you here that, that's a true story that happened so that's the kind of family uh, that I come from 
Loud family, Pentecostal family. And uh, man, I'm just going to preach God's word today. And I pray that the Lord will speak to you. And, and I'll say it like this today. Uh, if, if you are with me today, I will preach a lot better and a lot shorter in Jesus' name. Um, so let's jump into it today. A uh, great passage of scripture today. Romans chapter 9, verse 10. Romans chapter 9, verse 10. You can go wherever you want today. Something like, I don't want to go to Romans. Well, do whatever you want. I'm going to Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 10. I'm going to read to you in the message version. If I have any theologians in here that look down on the message version, um, I'll tell you, Eugene Peterson is one of the most prolific minds uh, of our days. And uh, he was a tremendous uh, orator and Bible commentator. And so I, I love reading from the message version from time to time and even preaching from it. And uh, if you don't like that, you can kick rocks. Amen. I'm just joking. Just joking. Come on, church. Have a good time. Praise him. There we go. Romans chapter 9, verse 10. Um, It says, and that's not the only time to Rebecca a promise was made that took priority over genetics. When she became pregnant by our one-of-a-kind ancestor Isaac and her babies were still innocent in the womb, incapable of good or bad, she received special assurance from God. She received special assurance from God. I love that. What God did in this case is made it perfectly plain that his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do, but a sure thing determined by his decision flowing steadily from his initiative. God told Rebecca, the firstborn of your twins will take second place. Later, that was turned into a stark epigram. I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. Mm. Let's pray in this place. God, thank you for your word. Speak to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I really begin to unpack this message, I want to tell you, me and my wife, um, we we were youth pastors, next-gen pastors for seven years in Michigan. Uh, Heard the voice of God to come to Florida to start uh, our ministry, Reeves Initiative. And Reeves Initiative has a few focuses. Uh, One of our focuses is uh, sending foster kids on. Well, first of all, our first focus is seeing people come alive in God. This year alone, we have seen 1,115 people across the country give their lives to Jesus this year in our ministry. I am so grateful for that, and I am a stickler with numbers. So I, I'm like, did you really give your life to God? How many times have you given your life? I mean, 1,115 people were so. So you'll see a shirt in the back at our, our table that says alive because that's the mission of Reason Initiative. We want to see people alive in God, alive in faith, alive in their home, alive spiritually. You'll see that shirt. Another one of our focus is sending kids on, uh, foster kids on spiritual transformation trips. We just believe Jesus is not joking about James 127 when he he says true religion is this take care of orphans and widows we happen to think that's not a joke we happen to think that's real ministry and that we are responsible to do so so we focus on sending foster kids on spiritual transformation trips we've already been able to send over 80 kids on some kind of trip whether it's a missions trip a camp a conference a college visit some students are the first in their family to pursue higher education this is what we get to do another one of our focuses is women in ministry in a day where people are questioning can women preach the gospel, we just decided to pick our side of the line and say, absolutely, the Bible says that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on sons and daughters, and we think the Holy Spirit is the only qualifier that makes people allowed to preach the gospel, so we believe in women in ministry. I know that might make some people upset today. That's okay. We really believe in that. You'll see a shirt back there that says more women in ministry, and me and my wife were super convicted because we read the story. We read a story uh, of of Philip, and it says that Philip had four unmarried daughters, and that Philip in the Bible, his four unmarried daughters, they all 
prophesied. They weren't known for their beauty, who they were married to, or, 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 or their social media posts. They were known, right, by the ability for allowing God to speak through them. So we really believe in women in ministry. You'll see that shirt back there. You can pick one up. And then the last focus of Reeves Initiative, salvations, foster families, women in ministry, and the last one, future pastors. Man, we are so passionate about people who are called into the ministry. You'll see two hats back there, one black and one tan. And we just believe in people identifying with the call of God on their life. One of my favorite things that happens is when people see one of those hats and they grab it and they give it to someone who they know was called to the ministry who maybe they don't see it in themselves but you see it in them and you begin to identify them as chosen and called by the Spirit. Man, we just really believe in future pastors. That is what our ministry is all about. And the reason I'm telling you that today is because the text I'm about to share with you speaks to all of that. It speaks to all of that. I want to preach from this simple thought today. The promise took priority over genetics. It says, it says this part right here. And to Rebecca, a promise was made that took priority over genetics. I love that today. I am fascinated by that today. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that makes and keeps all of his promises. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 1 verse 20, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all a yes and an amen in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is why Jesus is the focal point of our faith. Because every promise that God has made throughout the generations are a yes and an amen in Christ. So if you want all of those promises that God has made, you have to be in Christ. And when I read that verse for our how many, I started to think, well, how many promises of God are there? Oh, the scripture tells us very clearly as we're reading through, you know, a promise of God is made to several different kinds of people in several different kinds of occasions. I'm counting them through, and finally I got tired. I just Googled it. How many promises of God are there? 8,800 promises of God. So let's do some simple math together. 8,800 divided by 365 comes out to be about 24.1. Pastor, why are you telling us that? Because there is a promise of God for every hour of your day. Listen to me. If you are discouraged, that's on you, family, because God has given you a promise for every hour hour, for every situation, for every moment. There is a promise of God for every moment you're going through. Every single one. And his promises are a yes and amen in Christ. I, one of my favorite promises of God are surrounding the promises of healing. And I was at a camp this summer, and there was a young man who had an inhaler, and uh, this young man needed his inhaler more than anyone I'd ever met in my life. I mean, I feel like every other sentence, he was just, he's like, hi, my name's Robert. <laughs> And I love tetherball, right? Like he just needed that inhaler so bad. And I'll never forget it. We're at the altar one night, and uh, he's there. His hands are lifted, inhaler in hand. I'm like, you can worship God without your inhaler. Come on, somebody, right? He's worshiping God. And finally, uh, we begin to pray for people just like we prayed for needs today. Power of God moves in that room, and he's like, I don't need my inhaler anymore. I'm like, wonderful, young man. Not knowing that this young man would walk outside, take his inhaler, and smash it on the ground. He smashed it on the ground. Now, somebody said amen. I was thinking amen too. And then he came back in and he told one of the leaders, I don't need my inhaler anymore. I smashed it on the ground. I was healed by God. And the, the leader's like, uh, okay, let's, let's call your mom. You know? And so he calls his mom. He's like, mom, I'm healed. She's like, baby, that's wonderful. But still hold on to your inhaler just in case anything goes wrong. He said, no, Pastor Peter told me. I said, Pastor Peter didn't tell you nothing. Mm. No, no, no. I didn't say anything. He's like, no, Pastor Peter said, I said, we are all going to jail. Everyone over 18 at this camp is going to jail, you know? 
But how many of you know that story did not end with a young, young man needing another inhaler? He actually was touched by the power of God, didn't need his inhaler the entire week. As a matter of fact, I saw him out of breath on the field and walked right past him. I was like, he healed, right? Like he was good to go. Because the power of God has priority over our genetics. Well, I got a call from my friend Weston Weaver, my friend Weston, from a couple at his church that could not get pregnant for 15 years. And uh, he said, Pastor Peter, we know that God took you and your wife through infertility. And we actually had this, camp, this couple drive up to camp so that you could pray over them. I said, no pressure. <laughs> okay. So I begin to pray for this couple. And they're like, listen, we've had a ton of people pray for us, told us we were going to get pregnant, and it's not worked. But we felt like we were supposed to come up here because Weston told us your story, and we want you to pray for us. I was like... Okay, right? So I begin to pray for them. I pray a simple prayer, and uh, they go on their way. I get a text in December. Uh, I get a text um, in September that they are pregnant and expecting their first child. Because I prayed for them? No. But because the promise of God has priority over our genetics. Do you understand today? Now, now some of you are wondering, like, Pastor Peter, what, what are you talking about uh, when you say genetics? I, actually, let me stop right here and say this. Friends, it is the promise of God that, that shifts everything in our world. It, it was the promise of God that gave... Uh, Abraham the ability to leave his comfortability. It was the promise of God that gave Noah the ability to build the ark. It was the promise of God that gave the people of God confidence to circle Jericho. It was the promise of God that showed up to a 14-year-old girl named Mary and said, you will give birth to God. It was the promise of God that led these people into the situations that they were supposed to be in. They understood that the promises of God have priority over genetics. Now let me explain. Genetics, what I'm talking about, is our family history. I'm talking about habitual sins. I'm talking about our family bondage. And we need to talk about this today because many people use their family situations, habitual sins or family bondage, as an excuse to live however they want. Well, oh, I just, everyone in my family's had cancer, so I just want to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue to eat organic. I eat organic. I'm sorry, I'm organic. Right? Don't you feel like people who eat organic have to tell you every 10 minutes that everything they do is organic? I'm like, listen, I'm organically annoyed with you. Okay? And so, um, I'm just kidding. Come on. Just having fun. Um, I, I, I feel like people are like, well, yeah, you know, my, my, my dad's marriage didn't work out, and, and my grandfather's marriage didn't work out, and my great-grandfather, and so I'm not even going to try uh, because I, I, it just says just my family. We're not committed. No, no, when did we stop believing that the power of God can move in families? When did we stop believing that he could break curses? When did we stop believing that his power was greater than my reality? When did we stop believing that he heals, that he restores, that he protects? When did we stop believing all this stuff? Oh, your family history doesn't have more authority than God's word over your life. But this is what we've done. We've allowed these genetics to affect the way we live. And, you know, even my, my aunts, you know, this used to annoy me, but they would say that to me all the time. They're like, um, they, they, they would be like, Petey, right? That's what my family calls me. Petey. You remind us so much of your dad. And they thought that was endearing. I was like, mm-mm. Because my dad, I'll just be vulnerable if I can for a minute. Uh, as we discovered towards the end of his life, my dad, uh, you know, was addicted to pornography, drugs and alcohol, a womanizer in his own way, all while working. Uh, my, my parents worked for the United Nations. He was dealing with all these things while he was working. And they would always say to me, Peter, you remind us so much of your dad. You're going to be exactly like your dad. And that bothered me. And until one time the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and says, they, they 
They don't understand. The reason that they're saying you, you're going to be like your dad is because of the blood that runs through your veins. But they have no idea about the blood of Jesus that runs all over your life. Oh, you're not going to be like your father. You're going to see a new generation, a new era, a new faith, and a new boldness. And I grew up in a home where my father was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And my kids are growing up in a home where their daddy sings Waymaker. Hello? Come on. His promises have priority over genetics. Let me just say it like this today. Depression might have run in your family, but his promises are greater. Suicide might have run in your family, but his promises are greater. Financial mismanagement. <laughs> Something like, I didn't realize that was spiritual. Oh, it is. Financial mismanagement could have run in your family, but his promises are greater. Anxiety, divorce, whatever it is, it could have run in your family, but his promises... Friends, hear me. His promises are greater than your genetics. Listen, our story today is about a woman, and uh, her name is Rebecca. She's the main character in our story. Rebecca is the wife of Isaac, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Uh, so because she's married to Isaac, that would make the patriarch of our faith, Abraham, um, her, her, her father-in-law, right? And so uh, this young lady, Rebecca, this is a wonderful story, uh, is chosen uh, by the servants of Isaac to marry her master. Wonderful. Uh, but the thing is, is I'm sure just like everyone in the land of that day, Rebecca knew about the promise of God to her father-in-law, the promise of God to Abraham was like, Abraham, even though you're, even though you're uh, a little older, you're going to have some kids. And he's like, God, are you sure? He's like, absolutely. Uh, you, you're going to have some kids. And it was a beautiful promise over the land. And it probably got everyone excited, right? And, and so uh, that happened that Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Now it's Isaac's turn. And Isaac is in a moment where he wants his wife to get pregnant. And here's what, uh, here's what I see is Isaac, I, I can't even imagine how he felt because infertility preceded his life, right? He couldn't be fruitful in the beat. Like, it was hard for his parents to have him, and now it's present in his life. It proceeds and is present. It was a part of his DNA, a part of the genetics, right? And so here's Rebecca, and I imagine that everyone in the land is excited about the promise of Abraham, except for Rebecca, right? I can't even imagine what she's thinking, because she married into the only family that the promise of God on their life is more family, like she married into a line. The, the, the Lord told Abraham, you're going to have many descendants. And then it just gets to a son and they're like, yeah, we can't have kids. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine one of the greatest men of God in the entire Bible is her father-in-law. And the only person standing in the way of God's promise for that great man is this girl named Rebecca. She probably was frustrated. She probably said something like this. God, why is this happening to me? Have you ever said that before? She probably said something like this, like, God, why did you put me in this family? Have you ever said that before? No, you guys are super spiritual. You angels float into the room. You take a bath in the baptismal and eat communion for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm the only one that said it. Fine. Not Generations Church, just Peter Reeves. I said, God, why did you put me in this family? Huh? Why is this happening to me? Friends, I want you to catch this today. Rebecca represents every person who is overwhelmed by the realities of their life. Rebecca represents every person that is disappointed at the life that God gave them. Every person who said, God, I don't like who I am. I don't like where you've placed me. I don't like what's taking place in my life. I don't like that I can't fix this situation. I don't like what's happening. Ooh. She represents all of those people. And many of us have been there before. And a few of us are still 
there today. And I want to speak to you. God gave me a word for you today. Let me, a couple words. The first one is this, is God will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. God will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. Now, the same word that is translated darkness in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis is the same word that it also can mean weakness as we read it in this scripture all the way in the New Testament. It's very similar. And the Lord began to speak to me that the Lord will give us a word in our weakness and our darkness. I want to teach you this morning how God deals with darkness. The Bible says in the beginning uh, the earth was void and formless and empty and dark. Probably felt like Rebecca's room, void and empty and formless and dark. Some of you, that feels like your relationship with God right now, void and empty and formless and dark. Some of you, your mental health is void and empty and formless and dark. And the Bible says that the Lord in the middle of that canvas, void and empty and formless and dark, that God speaks, let there be light. Why? Because he will always use his word to meet you at your weakest point, at your darkest point point. It is the word of God that begins to illuminate. And here's what I see. God's favorite canvas to create on is our weakness and our darkness. He will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. That's what he does. This is why I encourage people. I'm like, listen, it it sounds so simple, but if you would just read the word of God, oh, he would use his word to meet you at your weakest point. Here's my, one of my favorite things the Bible says. It says, he is near to the broken hearted. He's near. You know what I used to think? I used to think that when my heart was broken, it was because, you know what, I'm far from God, and I'm stepping out on God, and I need to change my way. There's no room for it. We used to say this. I grew up in a church where they said, there's no time for depression in the presence of God, except the scriptures say that when my heart is broken and my heart is unmended, God doesn't push me away. Actually, he runs towards me. How would you know this truth today if his word didn't meet you at your weakest point? Oh, the word declares in the beginning was the word. And that's why when I say God will use his his word to meet you at your weakest point, I'm not just talking about scripture. I'm talking about a person. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. You want to know what God has to say about himself? Just look precisely at Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of all that God is trying to show you and I about himself. And in our weakest moments, he doesn't just send a word. He sends the word of God to be there in the midst with us. And it's Jesus who the promises of God are yes and amen in that come and illuminate our darkness. This is what happened to Rebecca. He used a word. It says, let me read it to you again, just really quickly. It says, and that's not the only time, to Rebecca, a promise was made. How was the promise made? It was a word. It was the word of God at that moment when she's sitting there feeling sorry for herself. At that moment when she goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. At that moment, she's like, Isaac probably regrets picking me. It's at that moment where she's overwhelmed and frustrated and hates her life that a word of God shows up. To speak to her. It's beautiful today. He will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. Here's the second thing the Lord showed me for those of us who are stuck and overwhelmed by our genetics and overwhelmed by the history of our family. The Lord showed me this, that my doubts don't dispel the presence of God in your life. My doubts don't dispel his presence. My doubts cannot push. Look, I love this. It says that the script, in the scriptures that he came to assure Rebecca. Who I grew up in a Pentecostal church, I told you. And they, they thought that everything was sending you to hell, right? 
Like, like you play Uno cards. I'm like, draw four. They're like, draw four? You're going to draw four in hell. I'm like, wow, this got out of control. You know? They're like, oh, you went to camp and showered without soap? Hell! You know? You eat fried chicken with ketchup? Not hot sauce? Hell. You know, like, I don't know. Right? Like, they just thought everything was sending you to hell. And uh, I remember growing up in, the, in a culture where, like, I, didn't, I never heard about God giving people assurances. I heard, if God never did another thing for you again, come on, does anybody know where I'm going? If God never, oh, the, the preacher would do it like this, huh? if God huh, never did anything for you again, huh, you should know huh, that God huh, is good enough, right? Like that, that thing, you know what I'm talking about? Ah! Right? Let's take up an offering. Thank you, Jesus. I'm like, we took up six offerings today, Pastor. He's like, we accept everything. We accept gift card. We accept EBT, huh? Dogecoin, huh? Bitcoin in Jesus' name. Safe moons, thank you, God. Ah! Right. I, I grew up in a place where it was just like, assure, why do you need assurance for? You have a Bible. Why do you need assurance for? You know who he is, but the Bible says the God of our Bible showed up to give Rebecca assurance. My doubts don't dispel the presence of God in my life. As a matter of fact, I would dare to say that God delights in your doubt. Isn't that a shift of perspective to know that when I'm doubting God, it doesn't mean no good to keep my doubts for him and act like they don't exist. But it does bring a lot of joy to the spirit of the Lord when I come into the presence of God and I say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't know why this is happening. I can't put all the pieces together. I can't really make it out, but I'm learning to trust you. My doubts don't dispel the presence of God. You know where we actually got this thinking and this theology that my doubts dispel the presence of God? We got it from the story of doubting Thomas. Oh, you know Tommy. Okay. Doubting Thomas. I want to give you a perspective shift. You know, the story is simple. All the other disciples uh, appear or are, are together, and Jesus appears in the midst of them, right? And they see the Lord. They're like, we we saw the Lord. So they see Thomas, and Thomas comes in, and they're like, Thomas, we got to tell you something crazy. By the way, before Thomas was doubting Thomas, they probably would have called him Thomas the Brave because Jesus was meeting with the disciples before he died, and he's like, I have to go that I might die for you. And Thomas was the only disciple that said, well, then let us go. But now Jesus appeared to all the other disciples. Thomas is nowhere to be found. So when the other disciples hang out with Thomas, they're like, we got to tell you, we saw the Lord. And Thomas is like, what is in this water you guys are drinking? You saw the Lord? They're like, yeah, we saw Jesus. And Thomas says what any reasonable person would say. He's like, I want to believe you guys, but, but until I put my hands in the holes in his hands and until I put my hands in the hole of his side God I can't believe you, you got to understand what you're saying is crazy and it says at that moment Jesus shows up in the room he didn't use the door or anything he just showed up he showed up Jesus showed up like a bad ex-girlfriend you're like how'd you get in here like hey what you doing ew what who gave you a key give me the key back. change the lock somebody you know like Jesus how'd you get in here and Jesus said Thomas Thomas here, put your hands in the holes in my hands and put your hand in the hole in my side. And many of us will see that scripture go, ha, Thomas, he's a fool. How could he not believe based on the word of the people that said they saw God move? How easy it is for us not to believe what we say, what, what we hear people saying God did. We go, mm, I don't know if that's really happening. We're Thomas. We're Thomas. 
We go look at Thomas. Jesus came to embarrass him. See, you put his, your hands in the holes in his hands, and you put your hands in the holes in his side. Thomas, you should have believed. But I want to suggest to you today that that moment with Jesus and Thomas did not embarrass Thomas, but it ignited him because his doubts were not dispelling the presence of God out of his life. Let me show you why. Because the, not, Christian, not the Bible, but Christian history in itself tells us that Thomas was the first apostle to take the gospel as far as India. And Thomas is often called called the, the, the apostle to India, so many so that Indians often take the last name Thomas. Thomas takes the gospel further than any other disciple, and eventually Thomas is martyred for his faith by a spear in his side. You tell me, is that the actions of someone who's embarrassed or someone who's ignited? I think his doubts in the presence of God gave Thomas the courage to become who he was supposed to because my doubts don't dispel his presence. It ignited that man, and he did what God called him to do. Why? Because God's promises have priority over our life. And so Thomas's testimony to the fact that he uses my doubts to create my destiny. He uses my doubts to develop me. He uses my doubts to make me the person he's called me to be. My doubts don't dispel his presence in my life, thank God. Because when Rebecca found out that she couldn't get pregnant, and then she entered into a spirit of depression or a moment of depression, she probably thought, he's done with me. He doesn't care about me. He's not for me. Have you ever thought any of these things before? Come on. And then it says that he came to give us, to give her assurance. Friends, that's our God today. Some of you have walked into this place wondering, does he care about what you're going through? The answer is a resounding yes. Oh, the Bible tells us, look at the, the sparrows and the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet God in all his splendor takes care of them. If he cares about plants in the field, I promise you he cares about people. He cares about your life. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about your doubts. Oh, are you wondering today? I'm telling you, it's a resounding yes. His assurance is coming towards you. He's come. To assure us. Last one today. Here's what this story teaches us. This is going to make a lot of religious people mad. But I'm here for it. You're not big enough to stop the purpose of God in your life. <laughs> You're not big enough. You're not strong enough to stop the purpose of God like, you know, Christians are always on either opposite ends. They're either the people like, like, uh, like this one kid, um, he was singing at camp, and uh, it was rough, you know, but he was singing to God. You know, when somebody's not good at what they do, but they love God, you go, oh, they're wonderful. Bless their soul, right? Like, that's what you do, right? And uh, he came up, and he, but he was, like, confident, which I like. I like young people that are confident. He was like, I killed that. And I was like, yeah, man, you did a good job. And he was like, it was all God. I was like, come on, man, it wasn't that good. Come on. <laughs> It was all God. What do you mean? It wasn't that good. So Christians are either on that opposite end or they're on the opposite end of this. They're like, everything's a sin. Someone sneezes around you. You don't say, God bless you. Like, they're probably out of darkness. They're walking in bondage, right? Like, like calm down. Like, it's either one or the opposite end, right? But, but I want to get to this point right here because there's actually something happening. Like, Paul's writing this, you got to understand, to Christians that are in Rome. And, and Paul's writing, he, he's trying to teach them. He says that God's purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what you do or don't do because their confidence in God moving in their life was more dependent on what they could do than on what God could do. And, 
and Paul essentially gets to this point here that you're not big enough or strong enough to move to stop the purpose of God in your life. I love it again. Let me just read it. What God did in this case is he made it perfectly plain. His purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do, but a sure thing determined by his decision flowing steady from his initiative. This is about God's doing, God's shaping, God building. This is about his decision and his initiative. Ooh, and this, this is good today. Because for those of us, look, I'm not minimizing sin. I, I'm just glorifying God. Hear me. I'm not minimizing sin. I'm just glorifying God. For people who don't know, God's power has supreme authority over your sin. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. And trust me, I believe everything the scripture says about sin, that it separates us from God, that it creates distance in our life. But I just believe that God's power is greater. And I'm trying to work this out. I'm teaching you something I'm trying to work out. Because I just, I'm learning this, that Jesus operates in such high degree levels of grace. And I hear it right now, all the Christians go, brother, what about holiness? Yeah, yeah, our holiness, our righteousness. The Bible says is imputed to us by Jesus. You're like imputed. It's a transfer. If I transfer money to your Venmo account or your Cash App account or your PayMail account, you didn't have to do anything. You don't even have to accept the transfer. You open the app. It's there. That's what how we got his righteousness. And you're like, well, well, how does this work? I don't know. Is it okay to say that as a preacher of God's word? Here's why. Because it doesn't make, it, listen, and I'm not even going to get to the theology of this, and this isn't just the principle of a singular situation. This is, this is a, a, a crucial moment in the story. I want to I show you this. The thing that makes it difficult for me to give sin as much credit as the church has given sin is the moment with the thief on the cross. Remember when Jesus is in between two common thieves? He's dying, and uh, one of the thieves is aggressive. Something like, I'm... That's silly. I would never be aggressive. I'd love to see you at a football game or you moms at Target. Um, there's a sale at Target. I'd love to see you when you wait in line at Starbucks, how aggressive you can be. I ordered a caramel frap 30 minutes ago. Jessica, you know, I don't know. Um, there's an aggressive thief. There's a lot going on up here. There's an aggressive thief who says, if you are the son of God, save us and yourself. You keep saying you're the son of God. You're not correcting any of these people. Save us and yourself. And then another thief over here says, don't you know that this man doesn't deserve here? We deserve to be here. Master, remember me when you go into your kingdom, right? And then Jesus does something that should mess with every preacher of God's word if they read the story correctly. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I got to be honest with you. If I was there listening to this conversation, I'd be like, Objection! Jesus, he cannot be with you in paradise today for he has not confessed sin. He doesn't even know your name. God, this can't be possible according to, right? Like I would start going into it. But Jesus said, no, no, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Wait a minute. He didn't confess Jesus' name. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't, like, like, this doesn't make sense to my brain. I don't understand it. I think what it means is that God's grace and his mercy far outweighs our sin. And even when we don't know what we need, oh, God Almighty knows what he needs. And his grace is available for our life. He moves in such a powerful way. There are some things that your family has been going through generations. You get to the altar, don't even know what to pray for. And God begins to rip them off of your life life and invite you into wholeness and wonder and splendor. This is what he does. And that thief on the cross gets to participate in what we all long for simply because he spoke to Jesus. 
My God, he doesn't even know your name. If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Yes, I know. I'm just saying this story. It makes it difficult for me to understand how merciful is God. How gracious is God. Okay, some of you, some of you are, I see you're processing right now, but I want to see where we're at. Everyone close your eyes for just a second. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. It's okay. We're not going to steal your Starbucks money. Close your eyes. You're all right. I have $14 in here. It's all for fraps. Okay, relax. Say today you were to stand before God. Not trying to scare you. You were to stand before God. I want to give you a little test today on how confident you are that you would enter into heaven. Everyone's eyes are closed. I'm going to give you a little scale. If you were standing before God today, how confident are you that you'd get into heaven? Where are my one through five people at? Raise your hand. One through five. You're like, I'm one through five. I get confident. I would go into heaven. Okay? A lot of hands. Put your hand down. Where's my six, seven, eight people? Raise your hands. Six, seven, eight. Okay? More hands. Where's my nine people? You're like, nine, I'd get in. Nine. Hmm. Okay, put your hands down. Ten. Raise your hand. Ten. Put your hand down. Everyone open your eyes. Um, this is the best way I can explain to you the gospel. That Bible says, for he who knew no sin became sin. <laughs> so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That is our foundational core belief as believers. But when I survey the room, majority of people raise their hands from one through nine. Meaning that they don't think it's a 10. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know what all means? All. <laughs> Past, present, and future. All. Watch this today. The reason the majority of people didn't raise their hand for 10 is because they still think that their righteousness has something to do with them. You're like... A six I would get in, for sure. No, the answer is ten. It's ten for everyone who will say the name of the Lord. It's ten for people that might not even say the name of the Lord. Those who say, God, I'm here. I don't even know what to pray. The answer is ten. It's because Jesus does the heavy lifting. It's Jesus who changes lives. It's Jesus who became sin. It's Jesus who overcomes the enemy. The answer is a ten for every person. Watch this. It's a ten when you're doing good, and it's a ten when you're doing bad. Oh, I know. This is messing with a lot of people here. It's a 10 when you have it all figured out and it's a 10 when you don't know why you're going why because it's by his decision his de his initiative his determination it is by him and him alone think about this for generations of the church we have been going if you make one mistake he's gonna blot your name out the land's book of life friends that is a lot of whiteout. look let me say it like this I don't believe in eternal security. I just want to be clear. I don't believe in eternal security, once saved, always saved. But I also don't believe in eternal insecurity. Hello? Every time you make a mistake, you're like, Father God, please forgive me. Lord, I bless your holy name. Where's a calf? We need to sacrifice a lamb. What are you doing? Every time you make a mistake, you take your place to a darker place that even the enemy could take you. 
It's by his initiative. And when anybody asks you, do you know you're saved? You're com- Look, it is crazy to me that we think we're going to win people to Jesus when most of us are one through nine, not sure we'd get to heaven. The answer is 10. It's not 10 because I'm good. It's not 10 because I haven't figured out. It's 10 because of who Jesus is. His promises have priority over genetics. All the scriptures made it clear. The minute there was sin, God made a way. His name is Jesus. And his promises have priority. Friends, this is the message. And so I'm looking at the scripture, and for Rebecca, this is good news. That this isn't a hit or miss thing, dependent on what you do or don't do. So some of you are like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, obviously then. No, Paul says just because we're free in Christ, does that mean we do whatever we want? Absolutely not. If you say, if you hear what I say, go, I can do whatever I want. Thank you, Jesus. You don't understand him at all. The, the freedom is actually to draw you into more wonder, not to allow you to just enter into more sin. It's not dependent on you, though. It's dependent on him. The answer is 10. Can you be sure in your salvation in Christ? 10. I walked in here one. The answer is 10. Because his promises have priority over genetics. What am I trying to say today? When I think about the promises of God, I guess what I'm trying to say is this, is that I think it's a lot harder to mess up your faith than you've ever believed. The Bible says Jesus, hold, he holds us in his hand. He says, my sheep, they know my voice and they come to me. You think you could just get out of that? You know, I've actually, I was talking to this man at the pool. Now that I'm, I'm a Floridian, I like to go to the pool. I've gotten three shades darker. iPhone can barely recognize my face. Um, I'm at the pool with this guy. And uh, he, he starts talking to me. He's like, man, like, I, I'm not saved anymore. But he said, he said this. I thought it was so interesting. He said, I'm tormented by the spirit. I said, what? Reading Harry Potter or something? What's wrong with you? Right? I took my glasses off. He said, I'm tormented by the spirit. I said, what you talking about? You know? He said, I gave my life to Christ at a camp when I was younger, and then I, I fell away from God. And he's like, every time I go to, still to this day, I haven't been saved for 40 years. Like, I, I can't get away. And I said, isn't that awesome? He gave his life to Christ at an altar when he was young. And 40 years later, he's still going, ah. This is uncomfortable. I should be fine doing this. Because when you give your life to God, you actually gave your life to God. And he's not easily giving it back. Oh, he's holding on to it, calling you near, drawing you closer, wooing you back to himself. This is our God. And here we have a man who goes, man, I'm tormented. What he was trying to say is I still feel the spirit. I don't know why. Because when you give your life to God, he's not quickly giving it back. He's holding on. It's a lot harder. What if you stop, started living like it was a lot harder to mess up your faith? I think you'd step out in faith more. I think you'd believe God for more. I think you'd walk in holiness more. I think you'd have a supernatural strength that you didn't even know was on the inside of you. <sighs> okay. Let me share one last story. Worship team, you can come out. Let me share one last story with you um, concerning this story. The promises of God have priority over our genetics, over family history, Bondage, habitual sins. Yeah, my, my dad did that. He was a drug addict, so I'm going to be a drug addict. No. Yeah, this happened to me, and this person got diagnosed with this disease. <laughs> this person got diagnosed with this disease, so I'm just, no, 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 no. His promises have priority over genetics. 
the Lord really solidified this message in my heart. Two years ago, I had a young lady in my student ministry. And uh, to say the least, she got all my nerves. Hello. <laughs> like the first time I met her, she came out to me. Somebody invited her to church. She's like, are you the pastor? I said, yeah. She said, I'm gay. I was like, good. I'm Peter. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, why, why do you feel the need to tell me your sexual orientation right now? Right? She was like, well, I just have been. I was like, okay, you need to relax. Like, breathe. Like, there's chips and Twizzlers over there. Like, go have a good time, you know? But as, like, our relationship began to grow and develop, you know, I, I saw, like, the heart of God in this young lady. And I will never forget the night she gave her life to Christ. Uh, I was preaching about the grace of God. The Bible says that Jesus came in grace and in truth. And the order is really important. Because some of us like, they need the truth. You haven't shown them any grace yet. Now, I don't, I, listen, I said he came in grace and in truth. The order is important. But truth is not complete without grace. And grace is not complete without truth. So I was preaching about that. She gave her life to God. And I thought when she gave her life to God, she would be more gentle. Mm -mm. She was just as aggressive. She came up to me. She's like, I need to get my whole family saved because they're all going to hell. Help me. Okay, can I get a, a leader over here, please? Can you, can you call the senior pastor and ask him if he can come down? So we pray. We start to pray for her family. One day she comes up to me. She says, um, Pastor, I need to confess something. I was like, what? What do you need to confess? She's like, I've been stealing anointing oil from the church. I was like, you're stealing, that's bad. But it's anointing oil. So do they cancel each other? I don't know. I'm not sure. I said, why are you stealing anointing oil? She said, because you keep talking about anointing people with oil, praying over it, seeing God do miracles. So I've been taking the anointing oil. I've been anointing my house. Both my parents were unsafe. She said that they've been walking around the house like, what is that smell? What is that? Is the house breaking? Right? What is that? She's like, I've been anointing their pillows at night. They're oily. They're waking up with pimples on their head. I was like, pimples? She's like, glory bumps is what I call them. I was like, oh, you really are safe. Glory bumps. Because I've been anointing my house everywhere. And I was like, okay, well, that's what, just keep doing it, I guess. You don't have to steal it. You can just ask for it. We'll give it to you. Okay? So she's like, all right. We begin to pray. And uh, then I preached a message around this topic. Not this exact message, but around this topic. Talking about genetics. I said, Pastor Peter, I just, I feel like God has called me to break the curses that are on my family. Ooh, you know God is moving when young people start to understand they're called to break curses. How much time do I have? Am I done? Or do I have five more minutes? Okay. Let me tell you exactly what I preached that night. The Bible says, whew, the Bible says that Abraham, right, the same man Abraham, before his name is Abraham, his name is Abram. Do you know that? And it says Abram and Sarah right? They go, they go to, they go to um, an unknown place, like he leaves his father's house. But to understand the story of Abram, you've got to understand the story of Noah. Okay, you're like, how does this connect? I'm going to show you. Before there was Abraham, there was Noah. The Bible says that one day Noah has too many Capri sons, and he's drunk, and he's in a tent, and he's naked, okay? He's drunk, and he's in a tent, and he's naked. This is a true story. Somebody's like, I need to read the Bible. Yes, you do. The Bible says that Noah, he's good at building boats, but he stinks at naming kids. He's got three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, right? 
Can you imagine how easy it would be to bully a kid named Ham? I'm sorry. Okay, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. I don't agree with bullying. Right? The Bible says that Ham goes into the tent and he looks at his father's nakedness. It's the first sign of perversion in the Bible when sons start looking at their fathers inappropriately. That's why the way you look at your pastor and pray for your pastor is really important. So Ham looks at his father inappropriately. The other two brothers come in and see their brother cover their father's nakedness and then tell their dad when, when he wakes up from his drunkenness that their brother Ham looked at him inappropriately. Well, well, Noah gets up and he looks at his son Ham and he says, Cursed be Canaan. He curses Canaan. You know why? Because who's Canaan? Canaan was the son of this man named Ham, right? So Noah said, what your father did now trickles down and it curses your life. And that's where most of us stop. You're like, what does this mean for Ham? That means everywhere Ham goes, that land is cursed. He shows up to Chick-fil-A, no more Jesus chicken, cursed. He shows up to Burger King, it's no longer have it your way. Do you see what I'm saying right now? Wherever he goes, that place is cursed. Fast forward 400 years later, there's a man named Abram. And Abram walks into the land of Ham. (sighs) Abram is a covenant man who walks in authority, who believes the promises of God are greater than his genetics. And so a covenant person walks into a cursed land. He gets into that place, and God says, your name is no longer Abram, but Abraham, because he inherited what that man forfeited 400 years ago when he looked at his father inappropriately. Why? Because the promises of God have priority over genetics. I don't care if this entire land is cursed. I don't care if your entire family's cursed. Oh, when the presence of God is on a person's life, oh, you can reverse the curse. And God says, your name is now Abraham. You will inherit everything he forfeited. So this young lady's in that service. You're like, you preach to kids like that? Mm -mm." She's in that service. She goes, God's going to do something in my family. No one in her family saved before. And so she decides to get baptized. And here's the interesting. The Sunday she decides to get baptized, her parents say yes to come to church because it's public confession that draws unbelievers to say yes to Jesus. She decides to go public with her faith. And I'm in the tank with her. So proud. I'm crying. But oh man, I got 14 chest hairs. I don't want people to see I'm crying. So just splash some water on my face. (sighs) Crying. She's in the tank with me. I see her parents. They come down and taking pictures. And I baptize her. I remember who she was before Jesus, so I held her under there a little longer. Thank you, God. Get it all out. Get it all. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a tall 5'7", but when I'm in that tank, I'm dunking. I'm like, I'm LeBron James. Boom. Boom. You know, I don't know. Okay. Like, pastor, never let him baptize anyone here, please. She was like, I was under there a long time. I said, not long enough. Hello. She comes out of the water, celebrating, we're crying, shouting. Uh, she goes to the back to get changed. Pastor preaches a beautiful word. Her parents decide to come down and give their life to Christ. And as they're walking down, there's an altar worker there with a booklet, name badge. And this young lady comes sprinting out of the back, hair wet and all. You know how dramatic girls are when their hair is wet. <laughs> I can't, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay, relax. Right. sprinting she sees the altar worker there pushes the altar worker out of the way the lady said what are you doing she said you didn't pray for them 
You didn't cry out for them. You didn't fast for them. So you don't get to lead them to the Lord. This is my family. This is my parents. This is our story. Move. And she moved the altar worker out of the way and led her mom and dad to faith in Christ. It was the first picture I got of his promises taking priority over our genetics. I don't care what was in your family line, what was in your history, your actual family, or even your faith family. His promises are greater than genetics. Whether it was spiritual and physical, whatever it was, whether it was anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, divorce, or whether it was spiritual, constantly feeling like you're out of the will of God, constantly feeling like God has disappointed you, constantly feeling like you're not good enough. His promises have priority over genetics genetics and there will come a day where people of God will stand in alignment and say no 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 I don't care what is coming against me I know that God is for me I'm going to pray and to believe and to stand that his promises have priority over our genetic come on somebody clap in this place today thank you Jesus thank you thank you Thank you. I want to pray real quick. Long prayer here. God, help us be honest. Amen. <laughs> I'm the one you went over at Thanksgiving. Come on. Food's still hot. I'll pray a quick prayer. Help us be vulnerable. Stand with me today. The Holy Spirit's in this room. I know I made you laugh and hopefully you You've been able to delight in God's word today. His promises have priority over your genetics. So two altar calls today, very simple. Number one, if you're in this room, you don't know Jesus Christ. You've never invited him into your life. Let's not make it weird today. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He wants to change your life. You're not supposed to opt. You think you're supposed to be angry all the time? Wrong. Think you're supposed to be addicted? Wrong. It's came to set you free. You think you're supposed to deal with that much pain, that much brokenness all the time? No. The Bible says that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's coming to give all those things to your life. You will experience a joy you have never experienced before. So if you're in this room today, you say, Pastor Peter, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Today is the perfect day to do that. We will pray a simple prayer of faith, and you will stand in alignment with God, and he will be working on your behalf. So with every eye closed in this place today, if you're in this room today, you say, I want to invite Jesus into my life, or I want to recommit my life to Christ because I've walked away from him. Beautiful. God's going to move in your life. You're going to experience peace like you never have before. Come on. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise your hand without any hesitation. Come on. One, two, three. Lift your hand. Is there anyone? Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, come on. Raise your hand higher in the back. I can't see you. Raise your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't be ashamed. Is there anybody else back there? Oh, I see hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I want everyone in this place today to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus. Come on, everyone in the house, say, Jesus. I believe that you are good, and I believe that you are God. I believe you have the power to save me, and that you're forgiving me for my sins. Jesus, you gave your life for me. So I give my life to you. Everything that I am, and all that I hope to be, Oh, I now belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just stay here for just a moment. 
Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer of faith today, I need you to do me one more favor. You prayed that prayer of faith today, do not leave without telling someone what you did. Someone who's on this team or on the staff or volunteering, come and tell, I gave my life to God. We have something for you. We want to help you get connected. God has a plan for your life, and we're going to help you get there. Amen? Okay, here's the second altar call today. Here's the second one. You say, Pastor Peter, I have believed my genetics over God's word. I believe because my parents did this, this would be my reality. I believe because this was in my family, this was my future. I believed the lie for too long. Hmm? Some of you, you just believe this is the way you are. Some of you, eternally insecure. For what reason? Today, God wants to move in your life. When I count to three, without any hesitation, you say, Pastor Peter, I want to invite the Spirit of God into my life and into our family like we never have before. Can I tell you, some of you, there's been things in your family, and it stops with you today. Today is the last day that that thing will be a part of your line in Jesus' mighty name. Because his promises have priority over genetics. Come on, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to come find a place at this altar to pray and to stand in the gap for your family. Come on, one, two, three. Come on, come right now. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on. Come on, I don't care if it was diabetes. I don't care if it was bad money management. I don't care if it was depression. Come on, come stand in the gap. Some of you, the things you're going through, you're saying, this isn't going to trickle down to my kids. It stops with me. Come on, right now. Come on, come on. Don't be ashamed. Come on, come on. It is the public confession that changes everything. Come on. Yeah, there's still a lot more people in here than I know. You say, listen, this marriage hasn't been ideal I don't want our kids to be like this. Come on, right now. That's you. Come on, come right now. One, two, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some still some people in here. Who you ever talked to your brother or your sister or that family member in a long time because of anger and bitterness? Come on, and you're saying, I don't know what to do about that. I'm telling you, it's not gonna pass on to the next generation. Come on, right now. It stops with you. Come on, come right now. One, two, three. Yeah, come on, church. I know I'm being pushy right now, but there's some breakthrough getting ready to happen in this room. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on. Let, listen. Let me do this last one right here. Come on. There's a lot of people in here. And addiction has plagued your family. I don't care if it's pornography, drugs, whatever it was. And you're saying, it stops with me. Woo! Can you feel more ignited than you feel embarrassed today? Everybody close your eyes. Come on. If that's your family, I want you, when I count to three, I want you to come. Because God wants to meet you here. Come on. We're going to lay hands on you and pray until that thing's not a part of your family anymore. Come on. One, two, three. Come on, right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, right now. Come on, come on, come on. Woo! Yeah, there's a strength coming into the room. It's not going to be a part of our story. It was for 40 years, but it stops right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to this place right now to do what only you can do. Lord, you're faithful. You're strong. And you are mostly, you, you are not intimidated by any part of our lives. 
So in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, right now we hold up our families to you, saying a new future, a new day, a new faithfulness, a new boldness in Jesus' mighty name. God, we warn for our kids right now, they will not struggle with what we struggle with. Lord, we warn for our little ones right now, they'll walk in fullness and in wholeness and in faithfulness in the mighty name of Jesus. Woo! God, thank you for Generation Church. Lord, there is going to be families that come out of here and get whole. Thank you that the news is spreading all over the community. That if you want your family whole, you got to get to this church. There's a unique anointing for family. There's a unique anointing for generations. There's a unique anointing for covenant people that walk in the cursed spaces. And they see fruitfulness and wholeness in Jesus' name. Yeah, come on. Come on, we speak to depression right now. You've got to go. We say go in Jesus' name. Woo! Hallelujah. Come on, we speak to anxiety and bitterness and anger and alcoholism. And we say go in Jesus' name. Can I talk like this today? Woo! Come on, would you, would you just close your eyes one last time in here? Can you just begin to pray into the future with me? What do you believe in God for? Woo, God, we thank you. We thank you that the days ahead of us are filled with miracles. Miracles in our home. Miracles in our job. Miracles in our family. Thank you that the days ahead of us, God, are filled with peace that comes from God. Not meaning everything will go right, but meaning we will have a sense of wholeness and stability no matter what's going on. Yeah, thank you that the days ahead of us are filled with wisdom that comes from God's word. That every time we open up your word, Lord, we will be illuminated with the goodness of the truth of your gospel. That you minister to our hearts deeply. Thank you, God, that the days ahead of us are filled with unity togetherness that you're binding us to the right people for the right purpose for the right hour your word declares God that whether two or three are gathered there you are in the midst of them you're connecting us to the right people thank you for the days ahead of us filled with joy a lot of you your relationship with God has been joyless you've been faithful but it's been joyless and the days ahead of you will be filled with joy. Serving Jesus and delighting in doing it. Your promise is our priority over our genetics. We worship you, mighty God. We thank you. Come on, can we just sing it one last time? Just one last time. Pastor, you can come. I give you my worship. Because you still deserve it. You are the you're worthy, Jesus, you're worthy of my song. I pour out your praises and blessing and break and you're worthy, you're worthy, Jesus, you're worthy of my song. I'll give you my worship, because you still deserve it.
Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.